Well, thank you, worship team. Great job. Nice little groove going on there. Fun to sing to. Helps us pay attention to the words. Uh, so thank you for leading us. Well, this is Kirsten Schmaus. Hello. And um, I first met Kirsten when I went to work for Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton back, well, 13 years ago in 05. Okay. And I was one of the worship pastors there, and Kirsten was one of the worship leaders. And uh, we began meeting uh, in a creative planning team to plan services, and Kirsten was part of that. So I uh, learned to appreciate her musical ability, how she thought about uh, what worship ministry was and is, and how we can lead others uh, in the worship of God. So we've, I moved to Texas, moved back. We got back in touch. Our families uh, know each other. And so Kirsten's been coming down once a week to sit in class just to kind of see about the higher education kind of thing. But uh, Kirsten's also involved in studies. She's working on her MA in theology in uh, worship and art at Fuller. Um, doing it all online. All online. Yeah, glorious it is. And so uh, we are glad that, I'm glad that she is here today, and I know you will be too. Let's pray for her, and then she uh, will lead us in God's Word. Father, we thank you for this day and for Kirsten to be here. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through her to us today mm -hmm. and help us to be attentive and to pay attention to what you are doing in our lives. Mm -hmm. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Right, well, it is good to be here, and um, let's just jump right in, because I'll just feel better about it to just get going. So we're going to be looking at 2 Samuel 6 today. If you want to follow along, I'll be uh, referencing from the NIV. So Samuel, 2 Samuel 6 opens triumphantly. Verse 1, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baalah, Judah, in Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. So if you've taken um, Carmen Dr. Arm's class, you will be very familiar with this, but I'm just going to do a little quick review for us of the ark and its journey thus far. So the ark was a box approximately 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches deep, it was constructed of wood and covered with gold. Its solid gold lid was called the mercy seat. Two cherubim, angel-like figures at either end, framed the space around the central mercy seat from which God's word was heard. It had been made under Moses' supervision and had accompanied Israel from Sinai through their years of wilderness wanderings. Inside the ark were reminders of that journey, remnants of the tablets of the law, Aaron's rod, and some pieces of manna. The ark was a symbol of worship, and that really is, is the overarching theme of what we're talking about today, is worship. Right worship, worship that is not so right, but let's keep going. Um, the ark was a symbol of worship, both a sign of Yahweh's presence among the people and a pledge of the people's obedience. From the time of the conquest of Canaan under Joshua's leadership, the ark rested in the sanctuary in Shiloh until it was captured by the Philistines, who then hastily returned it to the Israelite village of Kiriath-Jerim, also known as Bela Judah, after that Dagon debacle described in 1 Samuel 4-7. So, 
David and his entourage are now in little obscure Kiriath-Jerim, and they're excited to bring the ark back to Jerusalem and to reestablish Jerusalem as the center, or to establish Jerusalem as the center of Israel's life and worship. Old Testament scholar John Golden Gay imagines the opening scene this way. We do not know what time of year it was, but I imagine it was a lovely summer day, hot and sunny but breezy, like the day I once visited Kiryat Jerem. The joyous scene is like one from some film version of Much Ado About Nothing, except that it has God there too. For David and the whole procession are not merrily dancing, they are dancing before Yahweh with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And by the way, I didn't talk to the worship team at all about what they chose this morning for songs, but I just thought it beautifully set up our passage today. So thank you for that, Madison, whoever chose that. Okay, uh, Golden Gate continues. Indeed, I think it is my favorite moment of the entire David story, the moment I would have liked to have frozen, and the moment when I would like the story to stop. This is Golden Gate speaking. This is partly because it then gets spoiled. Arguably, it's not David's fault. Indeed, arguably, it is no one's fault. This turns out to be one of those moments with which we are familiar, when a magical day that seemed like the anticipation of heaven is suddenly turned into a nightmare because of something someone does or says without realizing what they are saying or doing. On the morning of September 5th, 2001, I brought our newborn baby, Juliana, in for her 10-day-old checkup. We were assigned a pediatrician in the hospital, and the only interaction that I had with this doctor was in the 24-hour blur after Juliana was born. She was our first baby, and everything was new. Labor and delivery had been a little complicated, so I was still quite tired, and I was not emotionally or physically prepared to hear. I would like you to take Juliana over to the university hospital from here and have blood tests done. There's a possibility that she has Down syndrome. She was, as best as I remember, this, the doctor, very clinical and very matter-of-fact, so in a bit of a daze, I just followed her instructions. Blair was at work already, so it was just Juliana and I heading over to the hospital, and I remember feeling very alone. I had worked as a physical therapist at the university hospital for a couple of years, so I knew the staff there, and as I was walking toward the lab, one of my favorite physio colleagues, Lynn, came around the corner and gave me a huge hug and, oh, Kirsten, look, congratulations, she's so beautiful. And I actually remember her saying, she's just perfect, which was so ironic <laughs> because she wasn't. And I didn't think it was necessarily really appropriate to go into the whole original sin thing at that point. So I knew that what she was talking about was, you know, this lovely, kind word of encouragement that this new baby, but... Um, so, that kindness just kind of broke all my emotional walls. I was trying so hard to manage the situation on my own. And, um, and that was just a real gift from God that she came around the corner then. It was... Oh, back to how I was feeling, though. I, I, like David and Uzzah in this story, my day had started out celebrating... I was celebrating a new life. I was celebrating a new life being a mom. And in an instant, everything just stopped. So it was a six-week wait to get the blood tests back. They confirmed that Juliana did not have trisomy 21. But that was a rich six weeks for me 
and God. Because I had a deep peace throughout it all that whatever the outcome was, God was going to take care of Juliana, even after we were gone. Incidentally, I was working as a pediatric physio with developmentally delayed preschoolers when we found out that I was pregnant. Blair and I had been in the beginning stages of adopting a sweet boy with profound cognitive and physical delays. And when we found out that I was pregnant, we had to suspend the adoption process. Because you can't, you can't adopt a child within a year of having something you know, significant happen in your family. When I look back, I realized that I wasn't fearful about raising a child with a disability when it was my choice, when I felt like I was the one in control. It was when I was blindsided by a new plan that I felt unmoored and unglued and out of control. So this morning, we're walking together through 2 Samuel 6 and specifically David's heart journey into worship. Uzzah and Michal have something to teach us about worship as well, but David is from the beginning the center of the story. He leads the worship and he worships and very specifically, he dances. So let's pick up the story at verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. So this is possibly the most perplexing story within the entire David narrative. What just happened here, and what did Uzzah do wrong? Well, we're not given any explanation. Some scholars suggest that Uzzah didn't take God's holiness seriously enough. Eugene Peterson suggests that Uzzah's reflexive act isn't an isolated one, that it's Uzzah's habit to manage the ark, and supposedly along with it, God in the ark. God will not be put and kept in a box, says Peterson. Whether the box is constructed wood or hewn stone or brilliant ideas or fine feelings, Uzzah is the person who, instead of losing himself in the worship of God, has got in a box, and officiously assumes responsibility for keeping God safe from the mud and dust of the world. So here we have juxtaposed two completely opposite pictures. David has unbridled joy in worship, and Uzzah is preoccupied with keeping this box safe. But this makes sense, right? I mean, this was his job. This was his specific role in the worship procession. Uzzah, you just had one job. We can't presume to know his motives. Perhaps his quick thinking was completely well-intentioned, and perhaps he didn't take God's holiness seriously enough. But Peterson's assessment is a harsh one. Uzzah does not worship. He fussily functions. He manages a religious business. Yikes. Why don't we just Google the words worship industry or megachurch? And I don't say that flippantly or lightly or with any judgment because I grew up and have led worship in a megachurch for my whole life. And even in that production-driven environment, it is possible, I believe, to worship and build a community that transcends a religious business, but only through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
I have absolutely loved being a fly on the wall in your classrooms this year. I have such a deep, tender place in my heart for younger worship leaders, and I champion you. I love to lead with you, and I love to be led by you. I believe that you will have the greatest influence in shaping the theology of your local church. Because the lyrics that play in our minds throughout the week are lyrics from the songs that you choose. So choose well. Pursue holiness. And lead us from the deep well of your own personal journey. And I could keep going on that, so let's get back to 2 Samuel. I think that we would all do well to ask ourselves, do I perhaps see a bit of Uzzah in myself? Do I have the habit of trying to manage my relationship with God? Do I compartmentalize my life? Are my outward expressions of worship congruent with my heart of worship toward God? I sing about surrendering, but am I really surrendering my desires, my fears, my relationships, my plans? The work of my hands, is it really worship? Are my daily mundane tasks more religious business, or are they joy-filled expressions of worship? Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So what do we do then, if we can't even discern our own motives? Well, maybe we borrow the words of the psalmist. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It might sound something like this. God, walk with me through these complex layers of self-reflection. Help me to recognize sin in my life. These old wounds still really, really hurt, and some part of me really, really likes to nurse them. And I can't do the hard work of forgiveness without you. Show me when my love is selfish, and help me to love like you do. Those are some of my prayers. Maybe you share them, but you definitely have your own. Those of you going to Kingsfold tonight are going to be engaging with God in just this way, and I have been praying that it will be a transformational two days for you, watershed moments with God. I've also been praying that the words that God has for you, the fresh revelation of who God is and how deeply God loves you, the good plans he has for you, the reconciliation that he wants to bring will ripple through your community, will ripple through this community. In some ways, you go on behalf of your community because we don't live in isolation, do we? So we've established that Uzzah's worship was, well, at best distracted and at worst absent. So let's keep reading. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in, in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. So David is first angry and then he is afraid. Rabbi David Volpe, in his book, David, the Divided Heart, suggests that we see ourselves in this man, and we see this man in ourselves. 
David's emotions are real, and his heart is on his sleeve, and the pendulum is already swung from joy to anger to fear, and with good reason. Because the Israelites were given specific instructions on how to carry the ark. Cast four gold rings for it, fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They are not to be removed. It's fairly specific. David chose for whatever reason to disregard those instructions and carry it the Philistine way. And this is a big deal because, as theologian Robert Barron observes, obedience is the hinge on which Israelite life turns. So David ships the ark back to a Philistine household and heads back to Jerusalem, no doubt, to do some soul-searching. Verse 12, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went back to bring the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf, wearing a linen ephod. David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, son, daughter of Saul, not wife of David at this point, she's referred to as daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. And it was a full and lovely day of celebration. But I would like us to flip to the part of the story as it's told in 1 Chronicles 15, because it's interesting to me that in this account, the 1 Chronicles account, there's no explicit mention of Uzzah's incident, but there is an admission of disobedience, and I think that's key for us. So 1 Chronicles 15:1 says, After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. Then you skip down to verse 13. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the Levites carried the ark of God with poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. For the Hebrew people, law is not the opponent of freedom. It's the condition for its possibility. Following the law, being obedient, brings freedom. We actually see the same principle in jazz music. It's widely understood that the more you know the rules, the more you understand the parameters, the more free you are to improvise. 
So as the ark was being brought into Jerusalem, I think that David danced with abandon because he had a new freedom. Obedience was turned into worship, free, unencumbered, true worship. And this worship actually grounds him in his own identity as our worship grounds us in our identity. We see this in his response to McCall's scornful reception. She greets him at the door. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. He says, I don't care who is watching. Yahweh was the one before whom I was dancing. And I bet the maids you were talking about know that and honor it. Obedience brings freedom. So McCall had stood at the window in contempt, watching and judging David's expression of worship instead of entering into worship herself. Peterson wisely, I think, observes that to be present in the place of worship and not to worship is both common and dangerous. Refusal to worship the living God results in loss. Uzzah lost his life, and McCall, we are told, was barren. On the other hand, David's worship, true, obedient worship, brings both freedom and flourishing. In bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and by dancing before the Lord, David established worship at the center of Israel. It was his spiritual act of worship. Paul calls us to do the same. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true act of worship. Let's pray together. Father God, we see in this passage so clearly what worship should not be. Father, I pray that you would guard our hearts against making the trappings of worship, especially for those of us who live in the worship a ministry world. I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know the balance between pursuing excellence in our craft, developing our skill and enjoying that, but always, always with, with you in a preeminent place in our minds. That our skills and abilities would serve your purpose, would not serve our own. And God, I pray that we wouldn't be like McCall, who stood in judgment of others' worship expressions, who didn't enter in. God, I pray that you would give us grace for all the different worship expressions in our community. Father, thank you for this time. I pray that as the group goes to Kingsfold tonight that you would do uh, an amazing fresh work in them. And for this whole semester, God, I pray that there would be uh, just a, a sense of something uh, new and exciting that you are doing in this, this last few months here. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth, the grounding that it is to our lives. Pray that you would be honored in all that we say and do. And we give you the glory and the worship that you alone deserve. In your name, amen. Have a wonderful day.